Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time it's episode 156, and we're going to go through seven different YouTube channels that each have something to do with van life that you may not have heard of. We're also going to talk about a frozen battery problem that I've been having, a strange incident at a McDonald's in a casino, and a mystery dinosaur park that I'm going to quiz you on, see if you can guess which state it's in. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Hey, so, welcome. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, let's keep it real here. This was one of those weeks where I sat down at my blank piece of paper, which in my case is a giant Hindenburg screen. Hindenburg is the software I use to record the podcast. And I didn't have an idea for what to talk about. I mean, I have I have notes. I, every week I make notes. And I have notes on my tech talk and my Tales from the Road and product review and place to visit. Those are all in there. But my main topic this week eluded me. And it's the first time that's ever happened. It's not that I've run out of ideas, because I remember all week long these ideas popping into my head. Oh, I could talk about this. Oh, I could talk about that. And you would think I would write these down. And sometimes I do, but then I find that I can't actually find where I wrote them down. So yeah, I've never claimed to be a terribly organized person. But I did come through in the end. And what we're going to talk about this week is seven YouTube channels that I like. And now, each one of these channels has had some influence on this podcast in one way or another. And I'm purposely avoiding talking about the obvious ones. For example, we've been talking about FNA Van Life for a few weeks. I'm not going to mention them in this list. The Vandersons, Combi Life, Foresty Forest, Camping with Steve, Wonder Hussy, all these that have come up from time to time, I won't be talking about in this list. This list is different, and hopefully you will not have heard of many of these, or at least some of them. And it's quite the varied list. Each one has something unique about it. But first, ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, I am holding in my hand a damn fine cup of coffee, and I must take a moment. Okay, thank you for that. Okay, folks, YouTube is where it's at. I am now so addicted to YouTube that I would get rid of Netflix and Amazon Prime Video and whatever other streaming service I have just to keep YouTube. And the reason is that the amount of content there is so vast that you can absolutely find something interesting no matter what the topic is. I've been on a big Tom Scott kick lately. Tom Scott is this British guy who just goes around the world finding strange things and points at it and says, this tree in 1997 was hit by lightning not once, but three times. That kind of a thing. I really like that. And no, he's not on the list either. But no, seriously, YouTube is such a big deal that uh, if you're not a regular YouTube user, I recommend you at least keep it in your toolkit because if for nothing else, it's a great way to find out how to fix things or get general information about a place or things like that. I mean, honestly, it has become the troubleshooting resource for an entire generation and me too. I mean, if something goes wrong with my Sprinter, the first thing I do is go onto YouTube and see what other people have found. And it almost always gives me the answer, much more than the internet in general, to be honest. And it also allows people to create content that couldn't exist anywhere else. And this content is that. So the first channel I'm going to recommend 
is it's a little hard to pronounce. I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing it right. It's called Tabi IE, T-A-B-I dash IE. Yes, in the show notes, I'll have links to all of these. It's Tabi IE Quiet Night. And this is a channel that a Japanese man makes. Now, he has built out a little tiny box truck into a really cool kind of camper, something that we don't really have here in the U.S. And he goes out and camps in it. And you might think, well, okay, there's like 900,000 channels that do that. And, And I agree. And there's actually a lot of channels that are like his. But his was the first that I encountered that did exactly what it does, which is nothing. That means he's not teaching us how to build anything, he's not demonstrating any products, he's got no product reviews. In fact, he doesn't talk at all. Not one bit. And I don't think he even speaks English. What his videos are, are simply videos watching him go through his day camping. Sometimes there'll be notes on the screen to explain something, or you know, maybe he's got a package of noodles and he'll explain what flavor they are, or something like that. But the whole video... It's just this peaceful moment shared with him in silence as he camps next to a river and shows how his van does in the rain. And and it's very Japanese, so it always has a little bit something interesting. He also does things that we wouldn't do here in the U.S. He cooks in different ways and cooks very different foods. And uh, anyway, I really like it. So again, that's Tabby, I-E, T-A-B-I dash I-E dash Quiet Night. Again, links in the show notes. Number two, if you have ever considered getting a Chinese diesel heater, um, you'll find lots of installation videos out there, and I would recommend you watch a bunch of them. Watch half a dozen of them and find specific ones for your vehicle. Like, I know there are tons for the Sprinter, and they come in handy because there's a place in the Sprinter van that people usually put theirs, which is under the passenger seat, but it has to be put in exactly the right way or it won't fit, and the YouTube videos are great for that. This guy does nothing but Chinese diesel heater videos, but not so much installs. What he does is he takes them apart and tries different ways of using them and evaluates different kinds and answers questions like, can I use my diesel heater to heat water? Can I run my diesel heater on waste motor oil? Can I, no, by the way, can I run it on gasoline? Eh, also kind of a no. But if you're going to live life with a Chinese diesel heater, Watching his channel is going to let you know a lot about how that thing works, and it's going to set you up to troubleshoot problems as they come down the road. His name is David McLucky. He is as Scottish as possible. He's the real deal. And his videos are filmed, it seems like he has a camera on his chest. So you see his arms waving about, but you never really see his face. It's it's funny, it's irreverent, and uh, somewhat dangerous sometimes. He just does all this stuff in this, this dirty little shed he has, and I'm really wondering how much of that exhaust he breathes from time to time. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's fun to watch, and it's also super informative. So that's David McLucky at YouTube. And again, it's the last time I'm going to say it. There are links in the show notes. In a similar vein, I ran across Rain Man Ray's Repairs. Now, this is a pretty big channel. He's got almost 500,000 subscribers. And he doesn't really do much with vans at all. But he's a master mechanic. And what he does is everything involved with cars. He does brakes and transmissions and engines and alternators and all this. And he just films himself repairing whatever car he's working on that day. And he films every angle of it, he explains what he's doing, and you can learn a whole lot about how cars work just by watching him. And, you know, if if you're not someone who understands the inner workings of cars, how OBD2 ports work and all that kind of stuff, 
watch a few of his videos and it will start to make sense because even though he is an expert at this stuff and he talks at a fairly high level sometimes, he also talks at a very low level. And after a bit of time, you get a much better sense for how the vehicle works and what's a big problem and what isn't and that kind of a thing. Now, again, I've been doing this stuff for a while, so I approach his channel maybe at a different level than an absolute newbie would, but still. I find him very relatable and very, very factual. So again, that's Rain Man Ray. Number four on the list is actually something I did list as a resource, and that's Matt's Off-Road Recovery. Now, this channel has exploded. This is one of the major YouTube channels now, and it, it's simply this off-road recovery company in Hurricane, Utah, that goes out into the desert and rescues people. That's it. And they've got a variety of vehicles they do this with, but you can learn how not to get stuck, and if you are stuck, how you're going to get out. It's interesting that even though they have tow trucks, and they have a snowcat, and they have all this kind of large equipment, they do most of their recoveries with a lifted Jeep Cherokee. <laughs> Believe it or not, that's what they do most of their recoveries with. So a good channel if you're going to be spending a lot of time off-roading in the desert. I don't care if you've got four-wheel drive or not. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You can get a good sense for what it's like being out there. And also, you learn that, hey, you can get help if you do get stuck. So that is Matt's off-road recovery. Everybody in the UK knows this one, and a lot of people in the US. And this is Greg Virgo. That's V-I-R-G-O-E. Greg Virgo is the channel you want to watch if you want to learn how to build out a camper van. Uh, it's one of many, but Greg is very, very good, and he explains things in a very simple, easy-to-follow way. Now, it turns out I don't always agree with Greg Virgo, and that's fine. That's what YouTube is about. You're watching this stuff to learn not to follow blindly. He really likes vapor barriers. I don't think vapor barriers make sense. Whatever. If we ever meet, we can have a discussion about it. It doesn't matter. But what does matter is he shows you everything that's involved and where you should start. Should you put the insulation on first? Should you put the wiring in first? All that kind of a thing. So a good channel for beginners who want to learn what's involved in building out a van, and that's Greg Virgo. Number six, the Cat Lady Van. Cat Lady Van is a woman and a cat living in a van in Canada. And if you're a fan of Van City Van Life, you know, Chrome, uh, the two of them have or had a relationship. I'm not sure of all the details there, but there are many videos that they're both in. But she has her own channel and has since long before she met Chrome. And it's a very down-to-earth, real-life, this-is-what-it's-like-living-in-a-van kind of a video with a cat. So those of you who are curious about what it's like to live with a pet... This is one to watch, and it looks to me like that cat is very, very happy living in that van. And last but not least, it's a little bit of a strange channel, and that's what I like about it. It's called Eric Enjoys Earth. I don't know why it's called that, but Eric is this guy who's built out vans, and he does weird stuff. His solutions for things in, his, in the vans he's built out are just different. They're things I've never thought of, and they're things I've never seen anybody else do. He has a really clever bed design that folds in a very particular way that makes it turn into a chair and then a bed, and I almost built one, but then I decided to be lazy and get something from Ikea. But if you're less lazy than I am, there's a great bed design in there. But you know, check him out if you're looking for some out-of-the-box thinking about how to build out your van. And again, that's Eric Enjoys Earth.
And hey, that is a complete list of every YouTube channel that you should subscribe to. Well, no, of course it's not. Jeez, that is just some suggestions that every one of those channels has influenced this podcast in one way or another. And I thought maybe you would like to know them. And heck, if you guys have a channel that you think I should check out, please send it along. You can get a hold of me at jeff at builttogo.com. That's two T's, not three, not one. Tech Talk. So I've been having a weird problem, and um, I'm just going to tell you about the problem, and hopefully it'll be informative in some way. It has been kind of cold here in Chicago. Uh, this week hasn't been bad, but the last couple weeks we're hovering around zero, and I've had trouble starting my van. I'm not exactly sure why. Um, I have brand new batteries in there, and I've got two brand new starter batteries. Now, sprinters are a little weird in how they do batteries. There's the starter battery under the floor. There's a panel. That's where the battery is. And then under the hood, there's another battery. The battery under the hood is only to power things other than the starter. It's a factory option for vans that are going to be like wheelchair lifts or ambulances. <clears throat> and anyway, that's why I've got it wired that way. None of this has anything to do with my leisure battery. And what I'm finding is that my starter battery is just dead when I go to start the van. And I actually jumpstart it with the other battery, which is a bad thing because then I generate all kinds of computer codes and, uh, you know, it's, it's just in generally a bad idea with a sprinter, but it's also a bad idea to be stuck. So that's what I'm doing. Anyway, I tell you all that as backstory because I also have a 200 amp hour Renogy lithium battery in the back. Now I would not ever jump to my lithium battery and start the van that way because that is bad for lithium batteries. I could potentially use my lithium battery to charge the other batteries and then disconnect it and start the battery. I could do that, but I haven't had to yet. But remember long ago, I installed this battery to battery unit. It's a, it's a battery to battery charger that also had an MPPT charger in it. Theoretically, it was your one and done. You run your solar panels in there, you run your alternator to it and boom, you've got all your charging for the back. Well, I still have that in there. I've disconnected the MPPT part. I'm just using it for the battery to battery. And my thought is that somehow that thing is draining my starter battery. It shouldn't be. I have it wired such that if the truck isn't running, it should turn off. But something is draining the starter battery. And the way the ambulance was wired when I got it, nothing is touching the starter battery. So I don't actually know what's going on. So I have that problem to solve. And I think it's that unit. I disconnected it, and hopefully that will be the end of that. But I'm also having problems with the leisure battery. Now, remember I said it was cold. The Renergy 200 amp hour batteries have a very good BMS, and they have a cold temperature detector. Now, remember that it is not good to charge lithium batteries if it's below freezing. You can use them, but they really don't like to be charged below freezing because it can damage the cells. So the BMS, the battery monitoring system or the battery management system inside the battery will say, nope, it's below freezing and it will stop the battery from charging. Okay, so mine did that and now I don't know what's going on. It seems to have killed the battery. Now, this is a fancy battery. It has Wi-Fi connectivity. I can actually connect to the battery with Wi-Fi. And my Renogy Rover 40 amp MPPT solar charger that I added is also Wi-Fi capable. But I can't get this battery to come back to life. Now, one trick for a lithium battery to get it to come back to life is to give it 12 volts. 
kind of jump start it. You basically, you can actually do this with a 9-volt battery. I've done it. It works. You put 12 volts on its terminals, and that'll turn it back on. That's actually a feature. That's how they work. And I can do that with mine, but I get all these weird errors about low temperature, and it keeps telling me to bring the battery up to room temperature, which I shouldn't have to. I can understand it should not charge below freezing, but once it's above freezing, I would like it to start charging again, and apparently it's not doing that. So, I'm telling you all this not because I have a solution yet, although I think I do. I'm telling you all this so that you're aware that if you are going to do winter camping with lithium batteries, you have to be aware of this issue and find things to do to prevent it. Now, if you are going to be using the van constantly and you're going to be keeping it warm all the time, the solution is easy. You just have it so that your battery is at the same temperature as the inside of the van. So don't close it off entirely. Make sure there's some way for air to get in there. That's not too bad. But if you're like me and your van sits for a few days and then you use it, it's a bigger problem. And I think the long-term solution here is to do what I talked about a long time ago, which is to put tank heating pads under the battery. And these are pads meant for RV holding tanks. They have a built-in thermostat and they just provide a little bit of warmth that will keep the battery above freezing. And I, I, think, I, I think I need to do that. I, I didn't think I needed to, and now I think I need to. So that's it. It's kind of a story more than tech talk, although it is definitely technical. And I will let you know how this goes. But, you know, if you're going to do a whole lot of winter camping, make sure you've got your lithium nailed down or you're going to find yourself in an ugly situation. Tales from the road. So if you've been in Vegas recently, you may have noticed a name on a lot of the billboards, and that is Banachek. He is a, a magician at, uh, and mentalist, mostly a mentalist at the Strat, which used to be called the Stratosphere. Now, I haven't been to Vegas in a long time. I used to live there. I spent a lot of time there. And I've known Banachek for a long time. Banachek is one of James Randi's alpha kids. And if you want to look that up, it's an amazing story. But by virtue of the fact that I worked for Randi, I met Banachek. And we actually sailed through the Bermuda Triangle together and, and a bunch of other stuff. So, uh, I haven't talked with him in a very long time, but it used to be that I would go to meetings with him and, and we would hang out and stuff. That wasn't uncommon. Well, I think it was 2009, we were hanging out at the Palms after having some kind of a meeting, and we were talking with these ghost hunters, which was odd because we were on the other side of the ghost hunter thing. <laughs> we were on the, you guys are making this all up side, and they were on the, no, 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 it's real side. And um, I kind of needed to escape a little bit, and I decided I was going to go get some dinner. And at the Palms at that time, not sure if it's still there, there was a McDonald's right in the casino. And it was actually on the edge of the casino, so you could get into it from the outside or from the casino. It was one of the very few places in a casino that had windows that you could see outside. But it was two in the morning, so it hardly mattered. Anyway, I bought food for me and a colleague and it was a lot of food, and it didn't come out all at the same time, so they gave me the first part of the food, and I picked it up and found a table, put it on the table, and then went and waited for the other food. And when it came out, I picked it up and went to the, now, completely empty table. All the food that I had just purchased and put on the table was gone. Now, this hadn't been half an hour, this had been minutes, maybe even seconds, like 90 seconds. And no, I wasn't watching the table like a hawk, but it was 2 a.m. in a casino, which, believe it or not, is actually a fairly safe place to leave some McDonald's. At least I thought it was. So I'm looking around bewildered, 
like, did some employee throw it away or what was going on? And some folks came over and said, are you looking for the food that was on that table? And I was like, well, yeah, I just put it there. And they said, oh, this guy came in from outside and looked around and came over to the table, grabbed the food and left. And we just thought it was his food. And I was like, oh, uh, no. And then I thought about what was going on here. Somebody was hungry and yeah, they stole my food, but that's kind of a lot less important than the fact that there was somebody out there hungry enough that they were waiting for an opportunity to come into the casino McDonald's and grab some food and leave. Now, I could have been mad about this. I mean, somebody stole my property. This is a bad thing. But boy, in Vegas, I think it's really important to have some perspective. Vegas is a place of extremes. There are some really extreme highs there, and there are the lowest lows that humanity has ever experienced, at least in the United States, at least recently. All right, that probably was not the right thing to say. But still, bad things happen in Vegas. And honestly, I'm in a casino. I won't think anything of putting $20 down on a blackjack table I can go spend another five bucks to replace the food that somebody stole that may actually keep them from being hungry for the night. Perspective is important. Product review. So I've got an interesting problem with my sprinter that I have a ladder on the back and where I have to park it, I have to back up to a wall and I have to get as close to that wall as possible because otherwise the van will stick out into where people drive by and that's not such a good thing. And I found that if I put a ball hitch into the receiver, it will hit the wall first before the ladder. Now, it's just an aluminum ladder. If I hit the wall with that, it's gone. It, is, it has a tolerance of zero. It is not allowed to hit the wall. Do I really want to have a ball hitch out there all the time? I mean, they're kind of stolen sometimes, and I could put a lock on it. And my situation is such that I have to tow different sizes all the time, so I'm actually replacing that a lot, and I tend to leave it off. So my solution was I bought a step and I like it. It's like a tow hitch that fits in the receiver, but instead of there being a ball at the end, there's a step. And I found one that's like super heavy duty and will absolutely withstand backing into walls. It's got a weird name because it probably comes from China. It's the Epel tow hitch step for two inch receivers. And Epel is spelled E-A-P-E-L-E. -E. Yes, I'll have a link in the show notes. And this thing is rated for 10,000 pounds. Uh, that's not my weight standing on it. That's how much you can tow with it. It's this heavy-duty metal elongated triangle. And you can put tow straps on it and haul things with it as well as use it as a step. And as well as use it as kind of a wall feeler. And I've already used it that way and it works great. So... If you're in the market for a step that will fit into your receiver so you can get into the back of your van easier, this thing is really good. Now, it's uh, currently $53.99, which may seem like a lot for a hunk of metal, but price these things out. The WeatherTech one, which is plastic, is a lot more than this, and this one is a lot more useful. It also comes with a stabilizer plate so that you can screw it in, and it's kind of semi-permanent, and it won't rattle. I found that I haven't really needed that. And it's also adjustable. It has more than one hole 
for the linchpin so you can make it stick out more or less. Um, anyway, I'm really happy with it, and uh, I'll have a link in the show notes. If you're looking for a heavy-duty step to put in a receiver hitch, yeah, this thing's pretty good. A place to visit. So I'm not going to tell you where this place is until after I tell you about it, and then I'll let you guess where it is. So this is the one of, or the, largest dinosaur track site in North America. It is a place to go to see dinosaurs. Uh, it, it, basically, it's, a, it's a, like a runway for dinosaurs. At some point, long, long, long ago, like 200 million years ago, during the Jurassic period, a bunch of dinosaurs ran through a mudflat and it got covered and preserved. And now that mudflat is open for anybody to see. And this thing is enormous. In fact, they only have a little bit of it exposed because it's so big <laughs> that they've just left a whole bunch of it covered until they're done studying this part. And it's all under this big dome. So you go in there and you look over and see all these dinosaur footprints. And it it it's actually pretty amazing. And of course they've added a whole bunch of dinosaur exhibits around and things like that. And and some of the animals there are the Dilophosaurus and the Abrontes and big, big dinosaurs. Now, having told you all that, where do you think this place is? Utah? No. Colorado? No. Montana? No. Now this is in Connecticut. That's right, folks. <laughs> One of the largest sets of dinosaur footprints is in Connecticut. And me, having grown up in New England, that doesn't surprise me because there are other dinosaur footprints in Massachusetts right off of I-90. And yeah, the folks, there were dinosaurs up there too. You just don't think of them in that context. But New England dinosaurs were certainly a thing. So this place is called Dinosaur State Park. That's it. It is a state park in Connecticut, and you can go check it out and see all kinds of dinosaur stuff. And there's a little hiking trail, and it's a good place for picnics if it's summer and all this. But just another one of these places that people don't know is there, and yet is actually kind of really cool. And I've been there, and I highly recommend it. Dinosaur State Park in Rocky Hill, Connecticut. Resource Recommendation. So, Josh, a while ago, sent me a whole bunch of things, and one thing on his list was the fact that your Compass app, you know, in your phone, gives you your latitude and longitude. Now, I'm an iPhone guy. I mean, I do have an Android phone, but I use mostly my iPhone. So I'm talking mostly about iPhones, but I'm positive that the same thing exists on Android. And so if I go onto my iPhone and type in Compass, I get this compass that comes up on the screen, and it shows me the degrees that the phone is pointing to, but it also shows me my latitude and longitude to a very precise degree and my elevation. It's all right there on one screen. So if you ever find that you need that information and you're like, God, how do I make the GPS do this and all that? It's built into the compass app. It's just right there. There's also a little bit of a level that makes sure that you're pointing the compass correctly, which is also useful. And it's just a good thing to know that if you've got your iPhone with you, you always have a fairly accurate compass. And it will actually help you keep a course. So let's say that where you are, you want to you wanna walk on a 90-degree course. You can point the phone to 90 degrees and then tap on the 90, and it will make it bold. And then if you veer off that 90, 
the compass will make a red line showing you how far off you are. So if you're walking through the woods, like if you're doing some orienteering, this will actually help you keep on track. It's pretty darn sophisticated for just a compass in a phone. Now, there's another app in here that I may have mentioned before, but since we're on this topic, I'm going to mention it again, and that is called Measure. Just Measure. Again, Android folks, I know you have something like this. I just don't know what it is. So if you type Measure in on an iPhone, you will get a very strange app that doesn't actually tell you what's going on, but it, it opens your camera up. Then you can tap the plus on one point and then drag over to another point and hit plus and it'll tell you how far away that is. Like I just measured the keyboard on my Mac and it says it's 11 inches and that sounds about right. That is kind of cool if you kind of want a general idea of how big something is. But if you look down at the very bottom of that, next to the word measure, there's the word level. And if you tap on that, you get this really cool level app and this applies directly to van life. This level app works in two different ways. Like, you can put it on a wall, and it will tell you how level the phone is, and you can use that to, like, hang pictures and stuff like that, just like you would with a bubble level. But you can also put it down on a table, and it will tell you in every direction how level the phone is. So if you're looking for a place to camp for the night, and you're like, geez, this doesn't feel right, and you're wondering which side of the van is too high... Use the level app that's in your iPhone, and you can see, oh yeah, the front wheels are way too high, or the right wheels are way too high, I should put some blocks under there. It's also, and this is what I've used it for most recently, is that when you're on a ship, you can see just how much the ship is swaying from side to side. And folks, I'll tell you, when I was down in Antarctica in the Drake Passage, this thing hit 20. This thing was 20 degrees off center line, which meant that the ship was going through a 40 degree roll. Yeah, that was kind of a lot. Well, folks, thank you for putting up this rather unusual episode, but since they all are, how unusual is it really? Music, as always, is by Simon Wagg. And until next time, remember the words of Mark Twain, the man who's responsible for all quotes in the universe. Good decisions come from experience. Experience comes from making bad decisions.